Grace Calvary Chapel would like to welcome you to these special recordings from the Man Up Conference 2014. Participating was Calvary Chapel New Life, Calvary Chapel North San Antonio, Calvary Chapel East San Antonio, and Grace Calvary Chapel. This sermon was recorded on Day 1, Session 3, with Elder Michael Petit from Grace Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. The title of the sermon is, Be Strong. Here's Michael. But everything, it's like Pastor Jim said, everything is kind of coming together uh, through the Holy Spirit. And what I'm going to be teaching y'all tonight is about being strong. And uh, I entitled this Battle for the Last Days, Be Strong in the Lord and in the Strength of His Might, Waking Up Weak, Worldly Christian Men of America. And I'm looking at this in four parts. We look at this, that you're at war. Jesus is on the battlefield. You were born for this, and then we'll get to the last part at the very end. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father God, we do come before you, and we, just like the song says, I pray that we we surrender anything that's holding us back from hearing your word, uh, from living your word. Uh, I pray that uh, not only myself, that I come here humbly, uh, that we would all do that, that we would all become just at at your feet, Lord, and and just ready to... uh, to allow the Word to speak to us, uh, to change us, uh, to teach us how to be godly men, godly husbands, godly fathers. Um, I pray for my brother. Uh, His wife is uh, just in a rehab. We've been praying for her for for their marriage, and they just rededicated their marriage, and now the Lord is doing a mighty work there. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing when we actually surrender the things that are keeping us from walking with you. Um, I know there are things in my life that I've learned over this, this study, Lord, that I need to work on. And so as I point the finger out, I'm pointing a thousand fingers back at myself. Um, I do pray, Lord, for each man here. Pray for their families. Pray for their kids. We pray for the churches, Lord. Pray that there wouldn't be any division, any gossiping, any fighting, that we would understand that we are a band of brothers, that we do have to stay in the ranks, that we do need to be reserved, be earnest, be accountable, and be least. And I ask that, Lord, not just in myself, but for each of the men that are here tonight. I pray that you be with each of us and fill us with the Holy Spirit. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. As we look at this, uh, you know, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, uh, be strong. And what we're talking about is not physical strength. Men have that already. We're talking about strength in the Holy Spirit. Dependence on God, not dependence on self. One of the things that I was looking up when I, when I started putting this study together is I found a study that, that said that most Christians... Over 38% of Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is not a real thing, not a living entity. Over 38%. And what's even sadder is one out of four Christians strongly believe that Satan's not a living being. So what's, what's the problem? The problem is, is that we don't know the Word of God. And we're not expressing the Word of God to other Christians. Sad part is, is we're at war and nobody knows that. How many of y'all seen uh, Saving Private Ryan? 
most of us, right? The, the scene in, on D-Day when they're in the, and the body parts are going everywhere, the blood's in the water. It's, it's chaos. But we have a lot of Christian men that are basically on a picnic on that beach acting like nothing's going on around them. They're lost. They don't realize that there is a war going on around them. I see people posting stuff on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and they're talking about the prophecies being fulfilled. Talking about Ebola, ISIS, the St. Louis riots, all these things that are going on, but they're not sharing the Word of God with the person that God's placed in front of them. They only do it on a social network. They're panicking. They're hiding. And what's happened is a lot of churches have become like, instead of becoming a church, they're becoming bomb shelters. That's the sad part about all that. The other part is, is that most men spend four to five hours watching football on Saturday or Sunday. Either spend the whole weekend hunting and fishing. Maybe spend a lot of time on that Xbox or that PS4. The problem is, is that we spend so much time on other things, but we don't spend time in Scripture. The problem is also is that we have a lot of people saying, hey, I found Jesus. That's your problem. Not mine. I'm going to heaven. So they don't even want to do what we've been called to do, which is to disciple and to share the Word of God with people. I want to share something with you that, that really hit me uh, hard, and that is it only takes 24 hours for your fall to happen. Your walk yesterday, which was going so well, like that is gone. It's just like Anton talked about that guy, you know, within a week, chaos. Pure chaos. Think about David. Where was David supposed to be? At war. Where was he at? He stayed home. Within one look, he falls. Same thing happens with, uh, with Peter. Peter's supposed to be praying with Christ. He falls asleep. Chops a guy's ear off. The next thing you know, he's denying Christ. And he was the spiritual leader of that bunch. They looked to him. And it just took like that. He fell. Adam was sitting next to his wife when she took the bite of the apple. She just passed it right to him. And unfortunately, that's what's happening in our homes today is that we have people that, are, that think their walk is concrete, that it can't fall down, that it can't fall apart. Guys, you need to wake up and understand this. It will fall down. It will fall apart. If you think you have that pride in you, that I'm okay. It's not going to happen to me. That's a lie that the enemy's telling you right now. What I need people to understand is that you've been called to be present, to be on guard. That means in your homes, in your marriages, and in your families. And some of y'all have not reported to guard duty yet. Some of y'all are AWOL. And anybody who's not been in the military, that's absent without leave. You're not present. That's why your families are in chaos. That's why your marriage is in chaos. You checked out. 
2 Timothy 2.4 says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Guys, you are in the army of God. It's time to start acting like godly men. When I put this study together, it's so funny that, you know, Pastor Jim said these things would come together. And I, you know, Anton talked about us being a band of brothers and about us not actually being that as we walk out these doors tomorrow. And the first thing I thought of was lukewarm brothers. And that's what we have a lot of right now is a lot of lukewarm Christians. Revelation 3.16 says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I spit you out of my mouth. See, you can't be on the fence. Because the enemy owns the fence. Okay? That's how it goes, guys. You're either hot or cold. If you don't want to do this, there's the door. Guys, I'm not, I'm, I'm not joking around about that. There's the door, your car's outside, you might as well go ahead and go on home. Because you are in a war right now. You are in a battle to save your families, to save your marriages, to save your, your, your friends and your co-workers, but you don't even realize you're in that battle. We've been asked to follow who? Jesus, the commander-in-chief. But how many of y'all know his commands? How many of you actually follow his commands? The thing is, is that we have to understand, in order for us to survive this war, we have to start training. In the Army, we train. In the Navy, I know Dennis trained. Marines trained. Who else am I forgetting? I always forget the Air Forces. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but we need to actually start training. Uh, one of the things I passed out to you was the growth acronym. I wish that I had come up with that, but that's Pastor Joe's. Um, he gave that sermon probably two years ago. And he's done it a couple of different ways a few more times. And it, it is basic and is to the point. Growth and in, in, in training is something that we need to do. We need to be training. I think about my time in the Army. Anybody who was, you know, has gone to the gas chamber to practice and all, what do you always do after you put your mask on? Gas, gas, gas. Right? And we had to do that every time the drill sergeant would tell you, gas, gas, gas. You'd have to get that mask out, get everything on. You didn't do it quick enough. You were doing PT in your mop suit and, and in, in your gear. Because he wanted you to be quick. I was on the ground for maybe four hours in the Gulf War. We had scuds go off, we had the alarms go off, and like a roach, roaches at night, lights went on. We had about 10,000 soldiers in this area, and it was like, phew, everybody ran. We had to get into the buildings on the first floor. Put your mask on, you get your mask on, and all I hear is gas, 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 and everybody in the hallway is doing that. And I thought, my Lord, the drill sergeant's really trained us. We're all doing the same thing. That's what we need to do here with the Word of God. We need to be training. Growth, the growth acronym is nothing hard. It's very simplistic. That's a, the funny thing that I've learned about this Christian walk. It's very simplistic. 
you do what God tells you to do. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. You love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. But the problem is we have free will. And we have sin and disobedience. And so we need the Word of God. We need to be in it. We need to be doing certain things daily. And that's what that growth acronym is. is Go to the Lord in prayer daily. Get quiet with the Lord. Pray without ceasing. Matthew 21, 21 says, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Praying with your wife is essential for a healthy marriage. Guys, y'all have to get over the awkwardness. You have to start doing this. You have to. There's, there, there's nothing more I can say about that. But you have to. You need to be praying with your wife. Daily. Not once a month. Not just when you're at dinner table and you're saying a prayer for the food. But you and her, quiet time, and you two praying. That needs to happen. Praying with your children. Taking time to go in their room and actually when they go to bed and praying with them. Letting them pray some nights. And you get to hear what's on their hearts. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 12 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Then when you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Not to harm you. Not to harm you. You know, the most powerful thing we can do is prayer. And it's something that is not happening in the churches anymore. It's something that has to get back to being an essential part of the church. And it has to start in our homes. It starts there first. And then as leaders, we start to do what we're supposed to do. One thing I do want to say, sin hinders prayer. Guys, if you're treating your wife like crap, if you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, yelling at her, cursing at her, God's not hearing your prayers. It's not happening. You need to get right with the Lord. You need to deal with that tonight at the afterglow. And that's, that's what that's for. You know, in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are the heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The second part of the acronym is reading, is R, reading the Bible. And I'm going to say this about as bluntly as I can say this. This is not happening in our churches. This is not happening in our lives. Because we wouldn't be having sin.
run rampant in the church. Families being destroyed. You need to cut the crap and start reading your Bibles. I'm not going to give you another 15 minutes a day thing. And I'm going to be very harsh with you. I'm telling you straight up. Read it or listen to it. But do it. Okay? Do it. It needs to happen. The reason there's division in the church, there's gossiping in the church, the reason why we have stuff happening, we have brothers hurting brothers, we have families hurting families, because nobody's reading the Word of God and doing what it says. You're not doing it. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God in profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. How can you teach your wife if you're not reading the Word of God? How can you correct or reprove for your kids if you're not reading the Word of God? I had a conversation with my, uh, I shared this in the multiply class that we do in the grace group. And I had a conversation with my wife and one of the things that was in the Francis Chan book was how do you study and why do you study the Bible? And I asked my wife that question. My 11-year-old son answered, and this is his exact answer because I stopped myself and wrote it down. This is an 11-year-old kid. To learn new things about God's Word, keep your mind pure, to stay in God's glory, grow in the knowledge of God, to memorize Scripture so you can remember it when you're out evangelizing or on the mission field, so you know the Scripture on the spot. I would love to tell you that's from me. It's not. Rick was one of his teachers. Miss Stacy was one of his teachers. Mike and Vic are one of his teachers. That is a band of brothers that is helping train my child up. It's not just me. It's the church that's doing that. That's the church. And that's probably, you know, I know Pastor Roy would always say about Ramon and Matt, I want to have faith like them. Because that's, they get it. It comes simple to them. They just understand it. Matthew 4, 4 says, But he answered as written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Next part is that is obedience and application. The thing that kept hitting me when I saw this is I said, Man, you know, sadly that most Christians and most men follow their GPS better than they follow the Word of God. They will do circles because the thing is telling them to do it but they don't do what the Word of God tells them to do. One thing I do want to share with you is that you need to have, you cannot have a faith like a movie theater where you just sit back and watch. Your faith needs to be like a gym. You need to be working out your salvation. Your faith needs to be like a gym. You should be constantly working it out. Living it out. 
Like children and athletes, most musicians, we must work again and again at applying Bible principles to become effective in the Lord's work. The next part is witnessing to others. It's a command. It's just simple that we need to keep fishing. We fish the same way, but we just use different lures now. Right? We fish the same way, but we just use different lures. And it's not just your pastor's job. It's everybody's. Everybody's been called to do this. Everybody. Trusting God with every detail in your life, with your time, your talent, your treasure, and your temple. The better you get to know Him, the easier it is to trust Him. It's a relationship. Like Pastor Jim said, it's not a religion. It is a relationship. We know that He died for us. We know that He's been... Uh, he, we have been forgiven. We know He will never leave us or forsake us, and we know we have peace in Him. So why is it when tragedy comes, you don't trust Him? First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him, and He cares, he cares for you. Next is the Holy Spirit. Let it lead and guide you. It is impossible to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to our second point. Jesus is on the battlefield. He's with you. He left you a helper. He's there to help guide your families, to guide your marriages, to help guide you. And I know, I can't even imagine when Jesus was leaving and they, the apostles were like, what are you going? But he had to. We needed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us into God's will. Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in, in the land of, up, of righteousness. Second, the Holy Spirit guides us uh, to pray God's will. Romans 8.26 and 27 says, The Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we, would, we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit guides us to live God's word. In Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-seven, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them. The Holy Spirit guides us to obtain God's promises. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, in him you have also trusted after you heard the word of, tr- the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, in whom also, ha- having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of a, a promise, who is, guarant- who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Next, the Holy Spirit guides us away from sin. Galatians 5.16 I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth. John 16, 13. However, when he, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you the things to come. The Holy Spirit guides us into our ministry. Luke four eighteen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty 
to the captives and recover the sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. The Holy Spirit guides us to see what God has given us. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-13 says, I has, has not seen nor hear, hear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. We have received the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. The Holy Spirit guides us by his power. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by... Uh, not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And last, the Holy Spirit guides us, uh, guides those who belong to God. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is not some genie in the bottle that we just pull out, you know, and, and think that we can rub and everything's going to be okay and we just ask, ask things for we have to understand that the Spirit is guiding us, that the Spirit is dwelling in us. And, and so the hard part is, is people are trying to understand how the Holy Spirit guides us and, 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 and helps us know what our calling is, know what we're supposed to be doing. But if you're not in God's Word, you're not in prayer, you're not in fellowship, you're not going to know. You're not going to know. You need to be doing those things. We have to remember that it is a spiritual war. You know, it's not a battle that, that, you know, that we pull out our weapons and, and we're ready to fight. It's not that. It is a spiritual battle. You know, it's funny, in the South we call it a gospel gun. That's what they used to call the Bible. You know, where in Georgia it's called the gospel gun. That's what the pastor is going to preach with the gospel gun. You know, and uh, when you think about 2 Corinthians 10.3, it says, for those we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Last is Ephesians six, ten through twenty, but I'll just read the very very first part here. And it's it's reminding us to put on the armor of God. We cannot go into battle without the armor of God. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. Not yours. Okay? Not yours. Why? It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The enemy's coming after you. And the sad part is, is that I, I hear people all the time say, man, I'm a, man, the, the devil don't know what's coming to him. I'm going to knock him out. And they're the first ones to fall. I'm like, dude, didn't you, didn't you know about the armor of God? Did you, are you in your word? Are you praying? What are you doing? But, you know, they're talking this big game, but they're not, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Next up is you were born for this mission. This was the mission that you were born for. God told the prophet Jeremiah that his course was set before he was even born. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Yet, uh, we always question God about our calling all the time. We do that all the time. We think we're supposed to be doing one thing, and then we're, we start questioning, why am I doing this? 
Because God called you to do it. That's why you're doing it. You were born for this mission. Each of us have a special gift that's been given to us. And each of us have to use it. But so many of us are not even, we haven't even opened the present yet. We just got it wrapped up and left it. You know, it's like getting a birthday gift and you ain't even opened it. It's just sitting there. It's just, you know, it's really sad when you start thinking about it because at the end of the day, man, there, there's a lot of Christians that are sitting on the sidelines. You know, like Louis said, they're not in the game. Not at all. They're not on, they're not on the battlefield. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then as Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are the Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. We all work out, work out of your hand. So, I, you know, I, I suggest you get home. When you get home, maybe take a pot, you know, get a piece of clay, set it on the ground, and see if it talks to you. That's what we do with God. You know? That's what we do with God. We're trying to tell him what we want to do. We're trying to tell him what we need. And God is saying, look, man, I, you know, Mike, we've been through this already. <laughs> Why are we doing this again? It's sad, but we, we just keep questioning and questioning and questioning. And we, we've allowed the world to start to creep into our homes and into the church. And we're starting to fail, fail to complete the mission that God has called us to do. You know, one thing that's been really hard uh, for me is I really grew up with no history of faith in my family. I, I didn't have a grandfather, grandmother that, that went to church. I didn't have that. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't surrounded in high school by Christians. I went to four different high schools, four different years, freshman, uh, sophomore, junior, senior, and not one person talked to me about Christ. Two different states. Nobody said anything. It's been eight years in the Army, and I had one guy tell me, you know. And so at the end of the day, you know, we've been called to make disciples, and we have to get back to that in the church. You know, as Anton's talking about being brothers, guys, it's about discipleship. Being brothers is, you know, is discipleship. My mentor is right back there. He cared enough to call. Just like Anton, Anton said, he cared to call me, to pray for me over the phone. And we need that. I have a group of pastors and a sister pastors that I absolutely love. And I have their back. <laughs> Something happened this week at church and we had, the batteries went out in the middle of service so I had to run up and, and get the battery. And, and Joe, I'm running up to the thing and, and Joe said, wait. And I just froze like a soldier. And my wife, when I got home, she goes, oh, my God, you're still a soldier. <laughs> she goes, Joe told you to stop, and you. And I was like, well, good. <laughs> that's my overseer. God has placed him over me. 
And so I need to I need to do everything that I can do to help him teach the word of God, to help him and help the assistant pastors. I'm not there to create problems. See, we've been called to make disciples in the church, and we've forgotten that that's a basic fundamental thing that we have to get back to. That is as simple as you saying, brother, how's things going? And stop telling people you're going to pray for them and walk away. Pray for them at that moment. Stop that. It is a habit, and you know you're not walking away praying. Stop that. Be real about that. I'll pray for you, brother. And then you go on about your day and you just forget about it. And you never prayed for the brother. Pray for him at that moment. Tonight you have afterglow. You're going to have things that are going to be happening with different, different brothers and you need to be praying for them. Praying for their families. Praying for the struggles that are going on. But discipleship is, is hard. Guys, it is, is not easy. There are times when, when people are going to be hurting and broken, and you have to be there for them. God has placed you there for that. And it's, it is a command. That is like the essential part of our order. You know, the main order that we've been given is to make disciples. Pastor Joe shared something about after he came back from the, uh, the pastor's conference, conference and what's going on at Costa Mesa. Pastor Chuck has passed away. They've become an old white church. They have a neighborhood of young and Hispanic people. And they're not reaching out to them. They've created a bomb shelter. And so now... You know, the new pastor, Pastor Brian, has, has brought in Ryan Reese, and they're trying to get a more younger demographic, and they're reaching out to the community. And, and we have to do that. We can't lose that. So many people want to put their churches outside the loop. That God forbid you do it inside 410. That's where the Word of God is needed the most. On the east side, the south side, in the west side. That's where people are hurting. People are broken. And, you know, this is a, a, a movement that was started by a bunch of hippies. Hello? Right? You don't want to let Hispanic young people in? What's going on, you know? It's like, we, we can't do that. Our doors have to be open. We're supposed to love Everybody. But we share the word of God with them. We share the truth. We don't sugarcoat it. We don't do that. Making disciples is, like I said, is, is, is a, a mission. And it's not just your, you know, whether or not you, uh, you understand, it's just not your pastor's job. Unfortunately, we, we do put too much responsibility on our pastors to think that, hey, that's their job. It's not mine. That's what, we, that's what he gets paid for. So I got a few questions I want to ask you. Since you are all going to be, whether or not you are, you have kids or you don't have kids, you're single, you're not single, all of you are at some time are going to either be a pastor of your home. And I, I, I just want to ask a few questions to you. And I want you to think about them. 
What will be your spiritual legacy? What is going to be your spiritual legacy? Will you be a man of God that has generations of grandchildren and great-grandchildren follow the Lord? Or will you be somebody that they don't even know God? See, that's very important that we understand is that we've been given a responsibility and we're blowing it. We're blowing it. The spiritual inheritance is uh, to children, it can be done in three ways. Most importantly, we do so by pattern our own lives. And then secondly, we pass on the principles that govern our lives to them. That's why it's our responsibility to explain biblical truths, you know, that we believe and we follow. They need to see us doing it. And finally, we provide a spiritual legacy through the power of our words and the way that we interact with our children. If you're calling your children stupid, why are you so dumb? I don't know why you were born. I've been told that one before by my stepfather. You shouldn't have been born. We got too many godly men that are not finishing the race. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. But remember, if you're training up a child to be a worldly man, guess what you're going to get? If you're acting like a worldly man, your child's going to act worldly. That's the reality of that. Next question I have for you. Are you preparing your wife for the day that she'll go before the Lord? Are you preparing your wife for the day that she'll go before the Lord? Will she hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? How are you helping her accomplish that? Christian marriages, the divorce rates, one out of two marriages end in divorce. The sad part is, this is actually a study from Baylor University. It says, despite their pro-family values, strong pro-family values, evangelical Christians have a higher divorce rate than uh, than more likely to uh, divorce than Americans who claim no religion at all. We're divorcing more than people who don't believe in God. How are we setting an example of marriage in the world? We're basically no different than the world. There's no difference. You know, do your sons and daughters see you treating your wife with respect and not as an object? And it's sad that this is not, you know, why isn't Jesus being reflected in our marriages? We need to reflect Jesus in our marriages. You know, something happened recently in my marriage. That's always why I say, you know, it's, it's always good to go through a study because you get taught so much. My wife had uh, the wonderful uh, news to tell me that I was, and, and this is recording, so this is great. This will be great. <laughs> so I get to relive this again. Um, 
my wife had the, the news to tell me that she felt like she was last on the list. And we had a week that I can't even explain. Both of us were sick. Um, my son had uh, basketball camp and tryouts, which was all week. I had two doc appointments. He had a doc appointment. I was cooking dinner. I was trying to do what I was supposed to do. We had Harvest America that week uh, on Sunday. And I got that message as I'm walking out of church after first service. And I'm like, I know I got to go home and go to this. And I'm like, I know she's not happy. She feels like she's last on on the list. And I thought to myself, man, you know, I have all this stuff that's happened. I'm basically putting my lawyer suit on and doing CSI, and I'm, I'm ready to go fight my case, right? I'm ready to go and be like, hey, man, look what's going on. This is what happened. Now, all this stuff happened. And that's God's daughter. My father-in-law is saying, what are you doing? That's God. That's God's daughter. And I, I went in to say sorry, and she did the hand thing. This is all sorry means to me. And I was like, oh, my Lord. So I started to see us. And so, okay, and so at that point, my flesh came out. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I, I'm, and my pastors know this stuff. This stuff happens. But, guys, I'm the same person as I am at home as I am here. That's how you have to be. You have to be the same person at your house, at church. There shouldn't be a separation of those two things. I struggle. I've been married 28 years. And I was just telling Daniel, you will constantly learn, constantly learn new things. When you think you got it all worked out, yes, plenty of curveballs, knuckleballs, sinkers, the whole thing, you get it all. You know? Being, you get hit sometimes with the. <laughs> so all those things happen, and, and uh, the reality is, is that uh, what she was warning is just more time with me. And God forbid that I give her that. God forbid that I be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear. I just taught that at the youth. And then Lord, the Lord let me just live that right on out, and all. And it was like, did you not? Did you not pay attention to anything? That you... And so Paul, the other part is, is that we were in the the, the study, and and this was something that hit me that was so good, and, and it was during the men's study, and and Joe shared this with us, and it was in Titus two six, and Paul gives one command for the younger man. It says, "Be self-controlled." But as an old dude, I need to do that too. I was like, man, I need that. I need to be self-controlled. And then Vic chimed in and he said, man, you need to be spirit-controlled. Holy Spirit-controlled. We need to have the fruit of the Spirit. We need to be looking to the Holy Spirit in these moments when these things happen. Okay? We shouldn't be looking at, hey, let me put my best defense together. That's the wrong thing. That's the wrong thing. Very important. Later that night, I prayed with my wife. I asked for her forgiveness, and then I asked God for her forgiveness when we were praying. It's very important that you do that. She needs to understand that not only you're talking to her, but you're talking to, 
to him as well. That you're truly saying, Lord, I, I didn't get this right. You know, things are going great now, but, you know, when I get back, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> <laughs> so we, the, the other part is that we have to understand we all have been given a spiritual gift. We all have to understand that we all have a true calling in the church. And the way that you understand that is that you need to take that in prayer. You need to go to the Word of God. You need to do, uh, have discernment from the Holy Spirit. And then finally, it takes a leap of faith. It takes a leap of faith. I had something that was pressing on my heart uh, for a while. I talked to Louie about this a while back, and I let, let myself talk myself out of it. I have an autoimmune disease. Um, I have a disease called Sjogren's. I, I don't produce enough saliva, so it impacts. Not only I've had my teeth removed when I was 28, um, it impacts my organs and other things, and then it causes me to have small fiber polyoneuropathy. So it feels like I'm standing on pins and needles all day. And so um, I had this thing that, that was placed on my heart to do. And, I'll, and I'm sorry if I'm crying because the reality is I talked myself right out of it because of my health. I fell. I went to get up and my right leg didn't work. And I hit the ground at 2 in the morning. And all I could say was, praise God, we got carpet. Because the last time I fell, it was on concrete. <laughs> and my wife was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. And she went back to sleep. And so um, I tried to get myself back up and get my legs moving. And it just wasn't there. And, and so this has been happening. And I know I'm being called to do something. But I got to be strong. Not in my will, but in God's. And so I'm on my way up to a camping trip with my family. And I was listening to Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And I had got to a part where they were talking about Johnny Erickson-Sentata and her skiing accident. And, and Francis talked about just this overwhelming Holy Spirit that she had, that she just felt it. Like he was there to minister to her, but he just was loved on by her. Like he just was like, I, I was there to minister to her, but she just was like, how are you doing? And she just had the fruit of the Spirit just oozing out of her. And he talked about taking some time, stopping the, the audio, and praying, and asking whether or not the Holy Spirit is really working in you, you know? And, and to pray about that, is there any sin or anything that's holding you back from having that happen? And I had a lot of fear. So I started praying. Coming up that road, and it was raining that weekend, and behind me was dark clouds, and I just asked the Lord, you know, to work on my heart and, you know, to forgive me for 
And it just all I heard was shut up. Stop talking. Because I talk a lot. Just stop. And you know how hard it is at that moment when you need to stop and you just need to be present with God. And you need to stop all these thoughts in your head. And you have to take every one of them captive because you want to hear from God. And I look out and I see this purplish blue pink sky over the mountain. And all I hear in my conscience is focus on heaven, not this world. Focus on heaven, not this world. I'm going to do the calling. No matter what the cost is. It may be two years, five years, ten years from now. But I'm being called to do it. And I know I need to do it. Health or no health. I got to wait on my wife. Get her back in first place. You know, after... (laughs) You know, get her back to feeling, you know, but also to know that she's with me and all, because I want her to be there with me. And so it's very important um, that we do what God is calling us to do, that we are, we have been born for a mission. Each of us have been born for a particular mission in the kingdom of God. Each of us. And so you need to ask Tonight, during the afterglow, if there's something that's holding you back, a sin, uh, fear, problems with your family, trouble in your marriage, that's what afterglow is about. It's about being real and, and just coming into the presence of God at His feet, willing to be led by the Holy Spirit. The last part, I said there were four parts. This is the last part. The last part is uh, people are dying. You're in a battle. You're in a war. People are dying. The reality is we can put those pictures up here. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. Some of the pictures that you will see are very graphic, and I would not show this to a church, but you're men. And because you are men... You need to understand that there is a battle going on and that there are really people dying. Ebola has killed over 4,000 people. Okay? In West Africa. Go to the next one. That's the dog that we tried to save. This, this is the problem with America. Go back. Go to the next one. Oh, the next one, that's the Dallas Hospital. That's Liberia. And we're trying to save a dog. We're trying to save a dog. There, is a, uh, there was a story that I shared in the Grace Groups. It happened probably about a month ago. A two-year-old child, the mom and dad both died of Ebola. And the people knew that that child parents had the disease, had the illness. And the child died in the streets. Died in the streets. Nobody would feed him, do anything for him. He died. 
Matthew 8, verses 1 through 3. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leopard came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Touched him. A two-year-old child dying. And nobody will pick the child up and feed the child and take care of the child because they're afraid they're going to get sick. And Jesus touched the leopard. And yet we won't touch somebody who's homeless and hug them and give them love that they need. Go to the ISIS. These are kids that were killed by the ISIS terrorist group. We all know that they've been chopping heads off. Keep going. Crucifying people. This is real. Y'all need to wake up about this. This is something real. If you look at that. Come on, guys. People are dying. Go to the next one. More crucifixions. This is happening now. Now. What was the last one? Those are heads. You're in war. The reality is, is that you are in a war. And that is what happens when you don't become a Muslim with ISIS. You don't deny Christ. You lose your head. They chop it off. And that's happening now. It's happening right now. And the sad part is, is most people are praying, you know, that ISIS you know, won't come to America. Not that ISIS will come to know Jesus Christ. Paul was no different than ISIS. How many of y'all have actually prayed that these men would come to know Jesus? Or just that they don't come to America? That's the reality of it. You can go ahead and take that off. 1 Timothy uh, 1.16 says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who believe in me, who believe in Him for eternal life. The next part that really hit me really bad this week was that there are ten, top ten reasons of death that are happening in America. You know what just entered number ten? Suicide. Suicide. People have no hope. But you have the answer. You know what it is to have hope. You know what it is to have a relationship with Christ, but nobody's sharing that. And so people are dying. They're taking their lives. Robin Williams just killed himself. Everybody thought he was just the happiest guy in the world. 
He was dying inside. He found out he had Parkinson's disease and took his life. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord Himself goes before you and, and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Depression is a real thing in, in America. Okay? And depression is happening in your churches right now. Fear is happening in your churches right now. I know Pastor Mike, when uh, Matthew came home two weeks ago, the youth were scared about Ebola. That actually came up during the youth discussion. And me and my son talked about it. So there is fear. But we had to, and, and I love what he told me. It's like, well, Dad, I know that, uh, that I have Jesus Christ, so it doesn't matter. 150,000 people will die today in the world. 66,000 people die each day not having any access to the Word of, to the word of God, to the Gospel. 66,000 people will die today not having access to the Gospel. There are people going to hell, and there are people dying. And you are the band of brothers that are here to get into the fight. You know, to realize that uh, it's time to stop the, the on-the-fence thing and really start to live this thing out. To live it out. To be obedient to God's Word and live it out. Some of you, man, I, I, I know and I, I've known and I, I, I see almost such great potential in some people. Like pastors, man. I see some people and I was like, man, that guy's going to be a pastor. But the thing is, is they're struggling with things. You know, or they, they may be in the children's ministry or they may be in the sound ministry or they may, but they, they're having issues because they're not dealing with their sin. They're not dealing with the, the disobedience that's going on in their lives. And so that's, that's what we have. We have people dying. And the reality is if we don't start sharing the Word of God, if we don't start becoming unashamed to share the Word of God, that we just... Start, and, and how do you do that? You just be yourselves, guys. You know, some people don't want to hear what you're selling. That's the truth of it. But you know how you, how you overcome that? You know how Jesus overcomes that? By you being a reflection of Christ. That's, they, they want, they're going to start to want to know, why is he acting like that? Why is he being so loving when everything's going so crazy? And then they're going to start asking questions. And that's how you start to, to share the gospel. I'm going to do one more thing and then we're done here. Is, uh, just to prepare you all for, uh, for the afterglow. And it, this is something that, that I think, you know, at the end of the day, we all need to kind of, you know, when we talked about coming before the throne, it's... It, you know, with the afterglow, we need to kind of really think about who we're coming in front of. And so I'm going to ask you to, if you can just close your eyes. I'm going to read from Revelation 4, verses 1 through 11. And I want you to think about this during the afterglow. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. 
And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 other elders. Do y'all see that? Imagine that. Just, just let that soak into there. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightnings and rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne were seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in the front of the throne were, uh, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne there were four living creatures, and they covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with the eyes all around. Even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor, thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him, worship who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you were created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. During this afterglow, you can open your eyes. You're going to come before the Lord. And I just pray that if there's anything holding you back, if there's anything that's keeping you from following God wholeheartedly, it's time to put that down. It's time to let that go. That's what this is for. And so I just pray, and we'll close in prayer real quick. And, uh, you know, I just thank y'all so much, man. It's uh, an honor to talk to y'all. And like I said, man, you know, praise God, man. Let's get into the battle. You know, we're, we're a band of brothers together. You know, and we're here to, to stand in ranks, ready to go. And, and we're going to hold fast. We're going to man up. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time, Lord. Um, I just want to thank you for, our, for Tanner and uh, Daniel as well, Father God, that you be with them and uh, just be with the worship team as well. And that you just allow us to come into your presence, Lord, to be at your feet, uh, to just be real, uh, to let go of anything that's holding us back from, from wholeheartedly following you and to, uh, to realize that we're in a battle and that our strength comes from you and not from ourselves. That we have to be dependent on you, dependent on your word. And uh, I just ask you, Lord, to touch each of these men, to, to, to touch their marriages and protect their families. And um, allow us to man up, Lord, and become godly men. And I just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Michael. That was Michael Petit from Grace Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas. The title of the sermon was Be Strong, recorded on day one, session three 
of the Man Up Conference 2014. If you'd like to get more information on Grace Calvary Chapel or more sermons from Pastor Joe Marquez, you can do that at www.gracecalvarychapel.org. God bless.